all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have Dr. Sarah Connerly on with us. She is a pediatric neurologist. So we're going to be talking about some different topics in neurology, including headaches, seizures, and whatever else topics y'all want to delve into today. We would love to hear from you, so share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So thank you, Dr. Connerly, for coming on with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So she is a pediatric neurologist, and so for those of you out there that aren't familiar with that term, uh, a neurologist is... Uh, I joked out there and said she's a brain doctor. Right. (laughs) But um, they take care of anything that involves the neurologic system that does not involve surgery. That's correct. We don't get out knives. (laughs) So that's a little different. So they do the medical management of different things. So that includes your brain, um, spinal cord. It also includes a lot of muscular problems, too. Mm -hmm. So uh, people that have myopathies and... um, uh, different like muscular dystrophy, different things like that, uh, weakness. So they, they take care of a lot of different things. But today we were, since headaches is such a common topic and complaint, both in our kids, teenagers and adults, we were going to try to touch base about that. And then um, we were just talking about seizures ten, is has been in the news recently mm-hmm. because of the, the Disney Channel star that passed away. So I think a lot of people have questions out there about seizures too. So right. kind of get into that topic as well. So we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And we've got a caller, Terry. He's been hanging on the line for a little bit. So we'll go first to Terry. Hey, I'm not a kid, but I am a kid at heart. So. <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, you know, my, my children, when they were in school, and I saw a, a, a news story on it this morning, about backpacks and the, the amount of weight that children carry on their back. And uh, I had and used a chiropractor to do some adjustments, and my headaches went away. I'm just wondering, is the it, are back issues sometimes related to headaches? And there's got to be a better way for these kids to carry around their books than on their back. Sure. Um, So definitely musculoskeletal strain and neck pain, which, you know, definitely a heavy backpack can can trigger shoulder muscle spasms. All of that can trigger headaches, especially tension type headaches, which is a lot of times caused by something um, such as muscle tension. So in 
kids or teens or adults, anyone carrying a heavy load on their back, if they're having that muscle spasm, kind of first stopping whatever is causing it, like such as carrying a heavy backpack, maybe switch into like a like a rolling backpack if your um, school will allow and if it won't, you know, get a doctor's letter excuse. Um, and then treating that muscle spasm. So a lot of times we use even some medications to help with that muscle spasm, especially at night, because sometimes you're not resting well either whenever it's hurting, which then can lead to more issues and more headaches. Um, so absolutely, you know, treating muscle spasms and treating pain um, is important part of, of tension headaches for sure. Um, but And, you know, trying to get the kids to not carry around 20 pounds of weight on their back is uh, definitely would be helpful. Which I, I, think- I was shocked. I was shocked at how much my daughter's backpack weighed. Yeah. I, I picked it up and I was like, oh, my gosh, you carry this around all day? <laughs> well, I know. And at my old high school, my mom teaches there and I went there. They don't even have lockers anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Cause yeah. When I was a kid, they had lockers and all that's gone away. Yeah. Right. And hopefully maybe with technology improving, a lot of the stuff will be available online and on computer. So they, they won't have to carry mm-hmm. as much. Everything will be right there in their computer. But but yeah, rolling backpacks is mm-hmm. what we what we recommend. Um, and they're available pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate your input. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for your call. So we're talking today with pediatric neurologist, Dr. Sarah Connerly. We would love to hear from you. So give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So headaches are a very common complaint. Mm -hmm. Um, And kids, a lot of times, will use that to to get out of having to do certain things. They might. Such as go to school or do their chores or whatever it may be. So a lot of times, questions that I get from parents is, how do I know if it's just something they're trying to use as an excuse or Mm -hmm. if they truly have a headache and maybe I need to take Mm -hmm. it a little more seriously, get them some medicine and different things like that? So what would you tell parents out there? Usually, you know, we definitely say if it's impacting um, something that's enjoyable, you know, and kind of a question that sometimes I ask teens is if you had a headache and were hanging out with your friends, could you keep doing it? You know, because while they may not want to stay at school if they have a headache, if they want to come home from hanging out, you know, with friends or doing something they enjoy, then it probably is a significant headache. Um, So kind of, you know, we say use mom and dad, you know, gut instinct to to some degree if they just don't look like they feel well, if they especially have some nausea or if they want to lie down with it, um, that can be a sign that this is more of a a significant headache. Um, and even potentially a migraine, but um, how it impacts their activities um, is probably one of the biggest, you know, telltale signs. So this is a, a true headache versus potentially just avoidance of, of something. Exactly. Looks like we'll go to our next caller, Chris. Thanks for calling today. Hi, how y'all doing today? Good. Good. Um, my son is 21 months old, and uh, he is old enough now to be asking for his pacifier, which I feel like is probably a little too old to have one once he can actually ask for it. Um, So I'm wondering, one, is that is 21 months too old to have a pacifier? And two, if it is, what's the best way to transition him away from that? You are not alone. That is a very common question that we get asked. Um, Ideally, you know, 
they would, as soon as they start getting teeth in their mouth, ideally you could get the pacifier away then, which varies for all kids. Um, But usually by like 18 months or so is when they really start getting a mouthful of teeth. And so you would want to try to have it gone by then. There are definitely two and three year olds out there that still Mm -hmm. have a pacifier and that's okay. Um, But it's, it's one of the hardest habits to break. But I usually tell parents to try to have it gone by 18 months to two years old, if possible. Um, just because also the other thing is their language is developing so much during that time. And they're not going to talk if they have a pacifier in their mouth all the time. And now granted, and I'm sure it's probably like that with your child as well. A lot of kids just keep it at nap time or bedtime or if you're in the car having to drive a distance. Um, but ideally, we would try to have it gone by 18 months to 24 months. I'll say from uh, experience with my child, who <laughs> we probably still had it going at 21 months too. We, you know, had it where it quote lived in the crib, you know, so for nap and you know it could not leave the crib, only nap, only you know bedtime. And then we first took it away at nap, and then we you know later took it away at, at bedtime too. So it's a can be a, a struggle, but it doesn't always have to be. But gradual, um, at least for us. But everybody's mm-hmm. different, so. Um, Parenting is a challenge. <laughs> so generally just take it away bit by bit, and when you do, just let him cry and scream through it until he... You know, yeah, you know, you might be surprised. I mean, not all kids are going to cry and scream. Some do, some don't. Um, mm-hmm. Mine didn't, surprisingly. So, you know, um, but taking it away, I think, bit by bit was helpful. And I think by that age, they do kind of understand things like, okay, it's got to stay in the crib. You know, it can't be out, you know, in the rest of the house, you know, whenever if he's just playing or, you know, whatever he's doing the rest of his day. You know, my son seemed to understand of okay it's got to stay in the crib you know Okay. Another thing. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, I was going to say another thing I've had heard parents do before too is say that they're going to give the pacifier to somebody mm-hmm. or yeah. something. So like um, Christmas time, we're going to leave it for Santa Claus, or um, you know, if you're going on a trip to the beach or something, you can say, well, we're going to leave this at the beach mm-hmm. because now we're a big, you know, we're a big kid, we're at the beach, something like that, where you could kind of make it a little positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, experience for them um so that i've heard of a lot of parents doing that and having success with that as well i like that yeah i like that a lot all right well thank you all so much this is a big help yeah Yeah. well good luck thanks for your call likewise take care Uh uh-huh so we're talking today about headaches and seizures and uh, different topics in pediatric neurology with Dr. Sarah Connerly. We would love to hear from you. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 So we talked kind of about when we should be worried about a child having mm-hmm. a headache, um, if it could be something potentially that they are experiencing, like truly experiencing right. and not just using it as an excuse. So what? tell us a little bit about... What are some signs of headaches that should make you concerned? Sure, yeah. Because headaches pretty common. Oh, so common. I had one just yesterday. Right. They happen all the time. So when when should you really worry about it? Yeah. Um, You know, one of the biggest, I guess, red flags to us, if it, you know, wakes you up in the middle of the night, I mean, that is not typical for children or for adults um if and especially if you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel so sick that you need to vomit um and if you awaken first thing in the morning you know needing to vomit with a severe headache that's concerning um if you have any sort of um 
neurologic change to go along with it, so like weakness, numbness, vision change, those could be red flags. They also could be just a part of a regular migraine, but you definitely needed to talk to your doctor to help kind of distinguish which that is. Um, and if you, you know, have never really had, like make, maybe an older teen that's never really had headaches before and suddenly you start having severe headaches that's kind of uncommon for that, that person, that would be another reason to, um, to worry and to see your doctor. Right. We'll go to our next caller, Melissa. Hi. Hey, hey. what's going on today? Um, actually, I am calling um, because my 15-year-old daughter has got migraines with right. a visual aura. Yes. Um, she actually went and saw a neurologist yesterday, and um, they found a heart murmur, which has never been diagnosed before. Right. Um, which is kind of raising some concerns because her migraines, are, she doesn't suffer from a lot of pain. It's more of the visual disturbance mm-hmm. that kind of knocks her up. And I'm just wondering what kind of correlation there might be um, with the heart murmur. She's now referred to a cardiologist. And, of course, my mind is kind of, <laughs> I don't want to WebMD it. Right. Like to ask. <laughs> right. Um, well, you know, starting with the murmur, you know, the, the biggest thing is you need to, the cardiologist is going to get an echo of her heart, which is an ultrasound of her heart, to look at the mm-hmm. structure of it, to look to see kind of maybe what could be causing the murmur. Um, because it it could just be what we call an innocent murmur, meaning it's not um, due to a hole in her heart or something wrong with her heart. And so you kind of don't really know how that plays in until you um, get more information with that, that echo, that ultrasound of the heart. Um, with... Um, you know, migraines with aura, auras are can be common in kids, and the visual aura, kind of like you described, is definitely the most common type of aura that we see. And you can have what we just call an acephalgic migraine, which means you don't really have a lot of head pain with it. You just kind of have all the other symptoms to go along with it, like a visual aura or nausea, severe fatigue, Um the um, but like I said, the murmur, you, you just it's hard to know right now. I would tell you, don't worry about it until you know more, <laughs> but it's just impossible to do, you know, as a parent. But um, but it, it's hard to know if those two things are tied together without that that extra test. Um, one last question Do you yeah. find that maybe some kids can grow out of these migraines? Um, because sometimes it, it is tied hormonally, yes, um, yes. Um, so I would say. Um, you say they can get better with age. We could maybe word it that way, especially, um, a 15 year old, you said female. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, teenage girls are going to have, you know, migraines more often than teenage boys just because of that hormone component, that estrogen. And, you know, teenagers oftentimes have more frequent headaches, um, probably because their brain is just not used to those hormonal swings that happen, you know, during, um, their menstrual cycles. And I think as you get a little bit older, you know, some of that gets better just because your brain kind of gets used to it. A lot of teenagers, as they get kind of closer to college age um, and into early 20s, they see that their headache frequency may get a little bit better. Um, and so it, it's certainly possible um, for her headaches to improve. Like I said, she gets maybe a couple years older. She It wouldn't be surprising if she kept having them um, kind of here and there, but hopefully frequency could get a little bit better. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for your All call. Right. So we'll take a quick break and we'll continue our discussions with Dr. Connerly about headaches and seizures and any other questions in neurology that you may have. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. 
That's 1-877-672-7464. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today with Dr. Sarah Connerly. She is a pediatric neurologist. And so we're talking about headaches, seizures, any other topics in neurology that you may have a question about. We would love to hear from you. So give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So our last caller kind of hit on migraines, which I feel like is one of the more common headaches that we have. Mm -hmm. And... um, some of those warning signs that we talked about earlier are the red flag signs where we get concerned about headaches mm-hmm. can happen with a migraine, too. Yeah, they, and they certainly can. Yeah, so it's definitely important if you have any of those symptoms to go talk to your doctor about it so you can determine if this is a migraine or if you need any further workup for your headaches, um, such as an MRI of your brain mm-hmm. or whatever else workup that may be. We do not routinely get MRIs for patients. Right. Um, for headaches. Um, It's only if you have some of those symptoms that we find that can be concerning. So if you have frequent headaches, a lot of times we can just make the diagnosis what we call clinically. Mm -hmm. So just by history and doing a good physical exam on the patient. And you don't necessarily have to get an MRI or a CT scan or any other kind of workup for your headaches. So I know a lot of people will ask me when we're talking about headaches in clinic, well, don't you think we need to get an MRI? Mm -hmm. And no, not always. You know, it's it's not always necessary. So just because if you have headaches out there and your doctor has not ordered an MRI of your brain, that's okay because a lot of times we can make these decisions and diagnose headaches without having to get a picture of your head. Right, right. So let's go back to migraines then, Mm because I feel like this is a very common complaint. I have suffered from them. Me too. And I know you have too. So tell tell our listeners out there a little bit about what's happening with a migraine and what kind of symptoms you may have. Because our last caller mentioned an aura, so we can kind of explain that a little bit. Yeah, so an aura would be kind of, you know, your warning to your headache. So it can be vision complaints, like seeing spots, blurry vision, even like losing your vision in, in either one or both eyes. Other auras can be like like numbness, tingling, even maybe some weakness. And it's something that precedes your your headache. So it happens before, usually maybe 15 to 30 minutes before. And it goes away whenever your headache starts. So um, so that would be an aura. Not everyone has an aura with their headache. Some people, the migraine just comes on without that warning before. Um, and you can have some of those symptoms with your headache. So you can have some blurry vision. You can see some spots during the actual migraine itself. Um, but if it doesn't happen before, then it, it's not truly an aura. But, um, you know, migraines can cause any sort of neurologic issue that they kind of want to cause is kind of how I word it. So you can have weakness with it. You can have numbness. You can feel faint. You can feel confused. Um, and, it, you know, just every person is different and every headache may be different. Um, and like we mentioned, so that could just be totally normal for a complicated migraine as we kind of use that term but you definitely need to you know talk to your doctor to make sure that it seems like it fits that category Um, and a lot of times we will get an MRI in that particular situation just to make sure that there's not something else going on Um, 
folks that typically don't need, you know, um, an MRI would be if you just have kind of a standard migraine. So a lot of times that means it's uh, one-sided headache, it's more throbbing or, or pulsatile, pounding, and it's usually pretty severe. You know, this isn't just a mild headache that you can continue on with your, you know, school or work. It's something that's going to really impact you and you're going to want to go home and lie down. Um, and you can have a good bit of nausea and vomiting with it. Lights can bother your, your eyes, um, loud noises, kind of that type stuff yeah they're pretty miserable they are yeah (laughs) and we have some good medicines out there which is reassuring right we can talk a little bit about that in a second but um, a lot of times not only do you have to have the migraine medicine but you need nausea medicine you do yeah lots of fluids and all the other things that go with that so Mm -hmm. we'll get into that but we've got a few callers so we'll go first to sippy thanks for calling today hey yeah what's going on um, I just had a question. I have a daughter who's about to be 30, and she uh, was born with a heart murmur, but, as they say, outgrew it. Um, and now she's had, of course, it could be stress, young mother, just constantly up moving and worrying and such as that. But do more heart murmurs return? Could that be causing all of her uh, onset migraines lately? So I would, it depends on what the issue was. So majority of the murmurs that we hear in children are going to be like a small hole in the heart, either in the top two chambers, you know, you have four chambers to your heart, two on the top, two on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so in between the two top chambers, you can have a hole in your heart in between the two bottom chambers, you can have a hole in your heart. That's probably going to be the most common. And the reason we have those is because of the way that our circulation is when you're in utero. So when they're in the mom's belly and growing, they don't breathe because they get all their nutrients from the placenta. And so the body has different connections and different holes in the heart because of that. And so a lot of times when you have those murmurs in kids as they're growing up, it's because of either those holes in the heart or some of those different connections of the blood vessels that were created in utero for that for that purpose so Mm -hmm. a lot of times those will fix themselves and they don't have any problems now i think there's some statistic out there that and you probably know this from the uh neurology because people that have strokes uh, there's like 30 40 percent of people that walk around that still have the whole and the upper two chambers of their heart and it never causes any problems Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times, even the small holes in the bottom two chambers of your heart don't cause any problems. But a lot of times, they'll just close up on their own, um, and you don't have that. Now, there you can also have a heart murmur from problems with your heart valves. Um, and so you can get that fixed over time. And sometimes you can have recurrent problems on down the road from that. Um, so I would say if it was to the heart valves potentially, but you are still going to be following with your heart doctor really closely for that. They continue to see you probably on a six months to one year basis all throughout your life. So you would know if it was returning because of that. Okay. So uh, she had outgrown hers in less than maybe about four weeks. It was undetectable. So So, I mean, is it on her medical record? Should she have been sent to a heart doctor then or should... A lot of times, you know, even when I see kids in the hospital, uh, like in the clinic that for their two-week visit, if I hear a murmur, unless it's something that you can kind of, 
when we listen, you can hear, you can kind of tell what it is based off of that. And so sometimes I won't always jump straight to an echo if I know it sounds like a pretty innocent murmur that will they'll probably grow yeah. out of. Well, uh, it was discovered because she had asthma symptoms. She sounded like a cat at about a week old, and mm-hmm. then that was when he discovered the heart murmur, too. Mm-hmm. It says he'll probably outgrow it. So I'm sure that his decision was correct on that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times I won't get them if I can, because we can tell. We know what it sounds like if it sounds like something bad. Um, and so if it's if it was still there at their two- and four-month-old visit, then we'd be more inclined to get the ultrasound. So my guess is she, it was probably one of those either little holes or little different blood vessel connections that you had to have in while she was in your stomach stomach and mm-hmm. it closed up on its own and she should not have any problems with that on down the road yeah. if she hasn't by now now the okay. ho- yeah so hopefully that answered your question it was a, a long okay. answer but hopefully i answered it <laughs> thank you so much yeah no problem thank you for your call we're talking today about headaches and seizures with pediatric neurologist dr connerly we would love to hear from you so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll go next to Connie. Thanks for calling today. Hi, how are y'all? Good. Good. I have a 15-year-old daughter who started having migraines about the time she hit puberty. And she sees a neurologist, and they have her on a regular daily medication. And then she also has um, you know, abortive medications and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it is, we're not in control of this. They think she missed she missed an exorbitant amount of school last year, and she just you know she's on vitamin B. She um, stays away from red dye forty. Um, manages we you know she trying to manage her fluid intake and make sure that she's taking in more water than caffeine or things like that. Mm-hmm. Sleep is still a problem. First off, she's a teenager. Second off, you know, she's yeah. social life. And, um, so that, and a cell phone, probably. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, part of, I mean, I don't know if that's part of it or not, but she does take melatonin to try to sleep. But we're just, I mean, she really almost got in trouble with school as to the amount of school that she missed last year. Sure. You know, and, I don't know what to do. I mean, she has also has um, Chiari malfunction level one, which uh-huh. the neurologist says that that has nothing to do with it. Right, right. We do see a um, chiropractor who he seems to think that is the, pro- the problem with the headaches. I'm just hoping you guys can shed some light on our situation. Yeah. So, you know, definitely if she's still having, you know, frequent impactful headaches, I would, you know, definitely talk to her doctor, you know, um, because if the the preventive medication that she's using isn't doing its job, then I would, you know, definitely let um, him or her know because there's, you know, either adjustments to the dose. So there's, you know, different things that can be tried. Um, As far as the Curie malformation, so... A lot of times that does not cause or is not playing a role in your migraine headaches um, because we do know through studies that some people just have curing malformations and never have headaches, never have migraines. So it's kind of one of those things that, um, you know, it can be, we say true, true, unrelated, meaning both are present, but they're not really related to each other um, because some folks just have migraines and don't have a curing malformation. Um, so, and, and, you know, 
it can saying you have a QRM malformation, there's, you know, mild, moderate, severe kind of forms of that, meaning how, how large it is. And so if you have a mild one, the likelihood that that's causing headaches and causing uh, migraines is pretty low. So and without knowing kind of hers, it, you know, it'd be hard to say. Um, but so a, a lot of folks do have QREs that, that don't have um, don't have headaches. So you can't always relate those two. And I think that's why your neurologist um, said that. And if I would, without knowing, I would just guess that it, it probably is not um, a severe one in size just because they said that. So what about, I mean, aside, they, they've tried different different levels of her medication and uh-huh. stuff. But we just we have never had this under control. Yeah, you know some other common, um, I guess more like lifestyle measures. You know that can trigger headaches. If you know, I, I find with some of my patients, if we're trying different medicines and we're still not getting relief, we kind of almost like go back to the drawing board of like, okay, well, let's talk about life and let's talk about what is going on that could be causing headaches. And you mentioned sleep, so a big trigger for um, tension type or migraine type headaches is sleep deprivation, just not getting enough sleep, which, as you mentioned, is tough in teens because, you know, they don't want to go to bed at a reasonable hour. They'd rather do all the things that are fun, um, including... um, you know, if they feel like they can't sleep, they're maybe on their cell phone, you know, scrolling through, I don't know, mm-hmm. all the things that they scroll through. Um, <laughs> and screen time definitely can impact um, your quality of sleep and your ability to go to sleep just because of that wavelength of light. And there's a lot of studies that have come out talking about unplugging um, an hour at least before bedtime. So sounds like um, if sleep is an issue, you know, starting with that and maybe taking away, she's not going to like it, but taking away the cell phone or whatever, you know, screens that she's using and making sure it's it's not something that's preventing her from going to sleep. Melatonin can be used too. Um, you know, for an adult sized person, you know, three to six milligrams, probably closer to six a lot of times is is what we recommend trying. Um other big triggers can be uh, even minor dehydration, like you mentioned, trying to make sure you're just drinking plenty of water, um, making sure you don't need glasses, even reading glasses. Eye strain can be a big trigger. Um, food. Yeah, well, she sees the eye doctor. All the, you know, okay, we, good. We try yeah. to stay on top of, I mean, you know, because it's kind of like you just have a checklist and you go down. Right. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what we need to do. But we're just, I mean, we're not getting, and unfortunately, her neurologist doesn't see, I mean, like her next visit when I called in May, uh-huh. the next opening they had is November. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and sometimes, you know, even if maybe there's not an opening, you know, even speaking with a nurse about, you know, hey, is there something else that we can try in the meanwhile between now and next visit, you know, and kind of depending on the patient's, you know, history and relationship, uh-huh. sometimes that's an option. So you might, okay. you might ask. Okay. Yeah. So, so there might be something they can get yeah, into before then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no yeah. problem. I hope she gets to feeling right. better yeah. soon. Thank you for your call. Thank you. We'll go next to Margaret. Thanks for hanging on the line. Are you Margaret? Yes. I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. That's okay. Thank you for waiting. What's going on today? Well, not today, but about five years ago, uh, I had... Uh, some really bad headaches that wouldn't go away, and I thought they were migraines because I'd had migraines in the past. But a friend convinced me to go to the to the doctor, and I had had a stroke. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
Anyway, that's my comment. Yeah. 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 And, you know, kind of so going back to those warning signs, you know, if you suddenly even if you have a history of migraines or have a history of headache, if you suddenly have a change in your headache pattern or your headache type, um, that would be a red flag for sure. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And and it could be, you know, worst case things like a stroke or something like that. Um, Right. Yeah. Then I had another one uh, oh. a few years years later, but I haven't had another. You know, haven't had any probably about three years, maybe oh. four. Well, good. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm sorry that happened, but yeah, that's that's a great thing to let everybody out there know, mm-hmm. so that if they do see a change in their headache pattern, go get checked out. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your call, and I'm glad you're doing better. So we're talking today about headaches and seizures with pediatric neurologist Dr. Connerly, and we would love to hear from you. So give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back. an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We've been talking today with pediatric neurologist Dr. Sarah Connerly. So we've had a lot of questions about headaches, and we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. We've got a couple more callers, so we'll go next to Wanda. Thanks Hello. for calling today. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, I was calling because... Um, my son, at the age of four, he just started just having seizures, just out of the blue. And then when we took him, of course, we took him to the Lebanon. But when uh, they diagnosed him, they 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 said that it was an epilepsy. And um, the seizures that he had, it caused him like to have like brain atrophy and learning disabilities. And I just wonder, have you ever had any childhood seizures that does that? Because by the time he turned to 11, it's like he outgrew them. Hmm. He hasn't had any sense, and he's 16 now, so... Yeah, so, um, you know, a lot of kids do outgrow seizures, you know, kind of thankfully from that standpoint. You know, some seizures, um, especially if they... um, aren't under good controls can call, cause developmental delay and cause some learning issues. Um, and sometimes they're kind of not related. Maybe we just already have, you know, some learning disabilities in like math or reading or something like that, that, um, you know, maybe aren't as evident, you know, at a younger age at four or five and kind of as they get older and get more into school, it's, 
you know, it's not necessarily that it got worse. It's just that, you know, he wasn't really maybe doing something that it was as as evident then. Um, and then there's some um, kind of disorders that you can have both those things where you can have some developmental delay and be more prone to have seizures. Um, so, you know, we yeah, certainly... I was asking um, because, like, he was like an A and B student. Uh-huh. Like, he literally went from A and B student to, like, he could barely even read or spell. I mean, it, it, it was bad, like, for a, wow. maybe, like, a year or two. And yeah. He was at LaBarna pretty, pretty regularly. But my question is, like, the brain, actually. Like, his brain literally, like, the gray matter in his brain was affected. So he had, did they, like, like shrinking, is that kind of what they're describing? Yeah, like, so brain, um, so it's, it's gotten smaller is what they've kind of told you? They had, it has. Okay. Yeah. It actually has gotten smaller. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... You there's a few different reasons why that could happen, um, and sometimes it does make you worry about maybe something an underlying disorder, something that maybe that child was born with that isn't really kind of starting to come out until he's older. Especially if you're having, like you're describing, shrinking of gray matter or shrinking of you know parts of the brain, um, and you know that medical word is brain atrophy. So um, could you see that with severe seizures? You know maybe. Um, but, you know, in, there's, I guess, a few different reasons that you could see that. Just seizures alone, that would be a little unusual to have brain atrophy. Okay, well, he's healthy. Other than that, yeah. Been healthy. Yeah. Everything getting checked out. So when, you know, I listen to you guys pretty frequently, and I was like, I can't believe she's actually talking <laughs> about seizures. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate yeah. you uh, answering my call. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, well, thank you for your call today. Thanks. Mm-hmm. We'll go next to Crystal. Thanks for calling today. Hey, um, wanted to ask you a question about my granddaughter. She's 17. She's diagnosed at age 10 with type 1 diabetes and age 15 with dysautonomia. And she had migraines. Uh, we did an EEG, video EEG, and the doctor said that she has a continuous migraine wave. And she's had an upper and lower scope of her digestive system, but she she can't eat very well. She either has dumping syndrome or throws the food up, and she also has hypermobility issues. And I'm wondering if the dysautonomia in itself can cause problems with her digestive system, even though it didn't show up on any damage to her stomach or her her colon during her two scopes. Yes. I'm sorry. And also whether or not it might be related to the migraines. Yeah. When you have diabetes, uh, when you're, so diabetes is when you, especially type one, you don't have insulin to bring that glucose down. And so you at times have high glucose levels in your blood. And so when that happens, it can cause some damage. It causes, it changes the blood vessels. It can change the nerve endings mm-hmm. as well. And so that's why you hear of people with diabetes having neuropathy because it's had damage to the nerves. And your stomach and colons and everything like that t- to make them move 
is innervated by nerves. Mm-hmm. So those nerves can get damaged as well. And so you can get uh, what we call gastroparesis. It is right. um, with a damage to your stomach, the nerves innervating your stomach. And so it doesn't move as well. And so that food just kind of sits in your stomach and you can get really nauseated. You can vomit. Um a lot of times you're probably not going to see that on a scope. So if she had an EGD and colonoscopy, you're not going to see that. You have to do more of a um, fluoroscopy study. So what they do is they, they give you something to drink or eat, and then they take x-rays at certain time frames, so at 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, four hours, and they see how well your um, your stomach processed that. So. It, it definitely could be. So, I don't, you know, they, she still could have something like a gastroparesis from the damage to the nerves um, innervating the stomach. And you may not have seen that in the scope. So it may be that they need to do a different kind of study to see if that's going on. Well, I'll they let, did a gastric emptying. Uh-huh. That's, that's exactly that the study. Okay. And that was, that was normal. And It just seems to have gotten, I mean, she gets two bags of fluids a week because she dehydrates so bad because of the pot Mm -hmm. and also with fluctuations in her sugar. Um, Her diabetes is well controlled, but with all this other stuff, any little difference can make her have a seizure or flashing lights can make her have a seizure. Um, She always has a seizure in Walmart because of the sensory overload and the lights. Oh, gosh. But um, having done all that as far as the different tests for her, her gastric system, I kind of don't know which way to turn now. Um, her heart's been checked out. She wore a halter monitor, and her heart is strong. But, um, you know, I'm just kind of at a loss as to which way to turn now. I don't know which doctor I should be seeing. I mean, I've had an endo uh, gastroenterologist, a cardiologist, and a, and a neurologist helping me with all this. But this this eating problem, you know, it, she she's she's been homebound for a year, so I don't really know what to do about her eating issues. Yeah, I would. Um... Definitely, I think a gastroenterologist would probably be where to go. Now, there are certain gastroenterologists that specialize in different things, and there yeah. are some gastroenterologists out there that specialize in motility in particular. Um, so I would definitely try to talk to your physician about maybe trying to get you to one of those specialists because, uh, you know, I have seen people have symptoms of gastroparesis and still have a normal gastric emptying study. And so there may be some different things that they can do and further work up or maybe some different interventions or medications that they could give her that could help with that. So I would I would try to find a gastroenterologist that specializes in motility disorders. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll do that then. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for your call today. And I hope she gets to feeling better. Thank you. All right. So we've got a few minutes left. So if you have a question for us, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We've been talking today with pediatric neurologist Dr. Sarah Connerly, and we've had some wonderful calls, so we appreciate everyone calling in. We've got a few minutes left, so if you have any questions, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can also send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org, and we will get back to you with the answers to your questions. So we have we've talked a little bit about migraines, mm-hmm. and so if people out there suffer from migraines or um, just from what they've heard think, okay, well, maybe some of these headaches that I'm having do sound like a migraine, there's some kind of natural things that we can do that you can get at your pharmacy um, that are not prescription medications. Right, right. So like one of the callers mentioned earlier um, – referenced a B vitamin. So that's vitamin B2 or riboflavin. So that's been shown to help um, prevent headaches in kids, teens, and in adults. Um, another one is magnesium. Um, that one can also help with sleep, help with restless legs. So that kind of can, you know, help a lot of things that then could be triggering your headaches too. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll start with those things just because it's a vitamin. There's no side effects to either of those vitamins. Um, and, you know, just that alone will help headaches in, you know, studies show roughly 30% of folks. So mm-hmm. you may not need a prescription medicine to help prevent your headaches. How much? What, how much would you tell people to take of the, yeah. the riboflavin and the magnesium? So, if it's an adult-sized person, you know, we usually say start with 100 milligrams twice a day. Um, you're going to have difficulty finding that high of a dose just at you know on your regular you know Walmart, Walgreens, etc. shelf. But they are going to sell it at um, like a health food store, um, like GNC or a vitamin shop or something like that. The magnesium, um, I usually tell folks either 200 or 250 milligrams. It kind of, you can find either one at your regular pharmacy, um, just in the vitamin aisle. And it doesn't really matter which one of those you get, just kind of whichever one's available. Yeah. But in that one, the magnesium is just once a day. If you take it twice a day, it can upset your stomach because mm-hmm. then it's like milk of magnesia. Um, but the riboflavin you do take twice a day. Twice a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we, we kind of already hit on the importance of sleep yes. and fluids. But mm-hmm. I don't think we can stress that enough right. because um, it makes a huge difference. It does. With the control of your headache symptoms. One other thing I wanted to just touch base on is, too, because we see a lot of migraines in women mm-hmm. with hormonal issues. Yeah. Um, and so you definitely can have menstrual migraines. Yeah, yeah. Some people, um, some women, they only have their migraines, you know, maybe either a day or two before their cycle or as it comes on. And, and that's not uh, unusual. And there's um, even a, an abortive medication, one of the triptans that's um, indicated just for people that have bad migraines during their menstrual cycles. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in that it's... It is hard to maybe prevent that because unless you do things like, you know, hormonal birth controls to help, you know, regulate your cycles or even eliminate your cycles. But outside of that, there's really um, not anything that you can do to prevent that menstrual headache from happening. Yeah. But talking with your doctors, I know... um 
I've had a couple of patients with that, and I've worked mm-hmm. with their gynecologist yeah. for her hormonal yes. therapy, and it it, it helps. Yes. Um, so it may be something to talk to your doctor about, and they can work in conjunction. Either they can take care of it because I think they treat a lot of it, but mm-hmm. also talk maybe to your neurologist or your internist or your pediatrician um, so that you can work together and try to get better control of those right. symptoms for your for you or your child or whoever may be suffering from it. So, um, and then another quick thing is looking for your triggers, Mm -hmm. um, which we kind of, another caller alluded to, but I can still remember um, in our lectures in uh, residency on migraines that how many are triggered by certain foods. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just Um, going through even a food diary, keeping a diary of what you did that day, what we call a headache diary, and Mm -hmm. write every single thing down, like what you ate for breakfast, lunch, dinner, what you may have done different out of your routine, Mm -hmm. because there are certain things that you can find that could be your trigger for it. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people think or, you know, they think, oh, chocolates and things like that, which can. Um, some of the biggest ones I feel like for teens is MSG. So that's in Chinese food, but it's also in any flavored chip or cracker pretty much, and especially in the hot chips that a lot of those kids love to eat. <laughs> so it's just loaded with it. So that definitely can trigger headaches and nitrites and nitrates, which is in preserved meats like, you know, um, deli ham turkey and then hot dogs pepperoni sausage bacon all the good tasting stuff so that can definitely trigger headaches for some people um and you know we kind of say think about a 24-hour recall so even think about maybe what you had for dinner the night before before, you know pepperoni pizza could have been it so and so that's why it's so important when you're trying to work with your doctor about anything in Mm -hmm. general but write everything down so you can know because I can't, I can't tell you what I ate for lunch yesterday. Nope. <laughs> so try to write it down every single day when you're trying to work through something so that you can remember and you can report it accurately. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Connerly, yeah, for coming for in. And, and thank you, everyone, for your calls. Um, if you have any questions, you can always send us an email as well. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio. And is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next.